Good morning. If you would, turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. So Thad and I are trying something a little different. I mean, Robert's preaching through Romans, so we said, why don't we preach through a book? Um, so we're going to do it. We're going to do 2 Timothy. Um, hopefully he doesn't make a liar of me, but that's, that's what we're thinking. And that's just so that we, the reason we do that is to preach the whole book, that way we preach all of God's Word, not just the things we like in it. Um, but anyways, that's... And so this morning as we read our text, uh, listen for Christ. Just listen for it. It's just a short passage. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. This is the Word of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would come speak to us this morning through your word. Let every wayward word fall aside. But Lord, oh, calm us down. Calm our hearts and our minds so that we might know you this morning through your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. It was, uh, I believe, in 1986 when I was but eight years old. My grandfather took me and my siblings and some cousins to go see Karate Kid 2, the long-awaited sequel. And... There's, um, I think I remember more about what happened in the theater than in the movie because um, my grandfather was imitating what he was seeing on the screen when, when he was, this was being taught. If you've seen the movie, you know. Um, and I think it was my sister or somebody had gotten jujubes and they, they spilled on the floor, but that didn't stop them from eating them. Um, and popcorn was everywhere. It was just like, it was this whole thing. My cousins love to talk about that to this day. But Karate Kid 2, as well as Karate Kid, and 3, and 15, I don't know how many do they have, but it's about an older, wiser man taking a younger man and giving him encouragement through difficult times. And that's exactly what Paul is doing through to Timothy in this letter. As he is an older man, further along in the faith, he's writing to Timothy to encourage him to continue in the faith. To continue with the difficult task of ministry. And this is Paul's last letter. The last letter we have of Paul. If you look with me, chapter 4, verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Paul is about to leave the world, but he stops to write one last letter to encourage Timothy. Who needs encouragement? For he struggles with fear. Look at chapter 1, verse 7, where Paul tells him to, For God gives the spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Timothy struggles with fear and shame, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. 
as well as Timothy's dealing with hard people. Chapter 2, verse 17, And their talk was sped like gangrene. Among them are Arminius and Philetus. But the question is, what does Paul encourage Timothy with? What does he encourage Timothy with? Well, Christ Jesus is mentioned three times in the first two verses of our passage. Because Christ is at the center of Paul's life and at Paul's encouragement. It is only Christ who can encourage Timothy. The person and work of Christ is all that is needed. And that's why it is so central to Paul's encouragement. To encourage a struggling minister. But Timothy is not the only one who needs encouragement. Because we do. It can be hard and difficult. We can lose focus. We're beaten down by disease. COVID and other things that are still going on. It's just, it can be overwhelming. Politics. I mean, it just, it doesn't matter where you stand on the spectrum. Foreign or domestic or, I don't know, there's a lot of, just struggle. With their own family, there can be pain and sorrow sometimes. Disappointment in life. And the list goes on. But Christ encourages us. Paul encourages Timothy with Christ, and so Christ encourages us as well. By remembering what Christ has done and reminding us of what He is doing and wants to do through us. And so Christ encourages us. But why does he encourage us? For what purpose? Well, he, Christ encourages us on his mission. On his mission. Paul is on a mission and he knows it. He has been given a mission by Christ. Look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. And this is a typical greeting or salutation in these days for a letter. When we write a letter, what do we put at the beginning? Dear John. No, we don't want a Dear John letter. I don't know. Dear Joe. Dear Joe, right? And then we write the letter, and then we sign the letter, Sincerely yours, Stephen, right? Well, that's all well and good. That's our format. Good. But when they write, wrote a letter, they would say, here's who's writing the letter, here's who I'm writing to, and here's a small greeting or blessing. And Paul, of course, as he's writing, uses this form, but he, he, he doesn't let the moment pass because who he is is in Christ and who Timothy is and the blessings are because of Christ. And so he uses this and, and, and talks about Christ's mission. Paul begins with what mission is he on? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. He's an apostle. That's how he identifies himself. He is one sent on behalf of Christ, an, an emissary. For what purpose? For the purpose of the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to proclaim Christ and the promise of life. 
that was first promised in the garden. But most of the time when promise is used, it's about the promise to Abraham and the, his seed that was to come. This promise of life that is in Christ Jesus is now fulfilled. And Paul knows that Timothy shares in his mission. Look at verse, chapter 1, verse 9. He says, God saved us and called us to a holy calling. He's reminding Timothy that not only has Christ saved us, but he has called us to a holy calling. Look at verse 13. Follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me. Timothy has a mission. And 2-2. Two, two, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Timothy too is on a mission and Paul knows it. Timothy is to be faithful to his calling. He is not to turn aside from it. Look at 2.4. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Timothy was to know his calling, know his mission for Christ and to stay, to, stay true to it. In The Lord of the Rings, uh, which is a great movie and book, there's a character named Frodo, and he's a hobbit, about yay, I don't know how hobbit, they're shorter, and they don't wear shoes. And this hobbit, this unsuspecting hobbit, Frodo, is given the mission of carrying the one ring to rule them all, to de destroy it in the fires of Mordor. All that to say is, he, he was responsible for saving the whole world by destroying the one thing that could destroy the whole world in the book. Okay? He has a mission. And, and initially he has a group of uh, men around him to aid him in that task. But one of them is corrupted by the ring. And Frodo knows. Or he doesn't want anyone else to get corrupted by the ring. So he leaves the group and goes on his own. On his own because he knows he has a mission and, and he must strive to complete it. Now the point here is not to go alone. For even Frodo didn't go alone. Samwise Gamgee, one of my favorite characters in all of literature, would not let him go alone. But that's not the point. The point is, is that Frodo had a mission, and he didn't let anything distract him from it. He marched forward on that mission. And that's what Paul is calling Timothy to, what Christ calls us to. But it's not easy. Even Frodo fought orcs and giant spot, was bitten by a giant spider. And weakened by the burden of carrying the ring. It's not easy. And, and Paul doesn't sugarcoat it. He acknowledges that it's a difficult mission. And that's one of the beautiful things about Scripture and Paul. Like, they're not trying to say, oh, it's going to be nice and easy. And then be like, ah, they'll find out later that's not true. They're like, straight up, it's hard. Straight up. From the beginning, it's hard. They're, they're very honest about the realities of life. Look at chapter 1, verse 15. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Paul's talking about his own difficulties. Chapter 2, verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier in Christ Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 17. And their talk was spread like gangrene. Among them are Hermenius and Philetus. 
There are difficult people. He knows that. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, so forth and so on. And it's in every chapter. Chapter 4, verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. I mean, Timothy, not every sermon you preach is going to get an attaboy from everybody. But that's okay. Because that's better than preaching something like the prosperity gospel, which is no gospel. That, but that preaches that life is about perfect here and now. That, that tries to get you to believe that if you just have enough faith and if you are sick, you'll be better. And if you don't have enough money, you'll have it. And if there's some rough patch in your life, it'll be solved. That's not the promise of life in Christ Jesus. At least not now. Not until He returns. Then, then we'll talk. No more sickness. No more death. But until then, it is difficult. Paul struggled. Jesus struggled. But think about it. We may not succumb to the doctrine that we know is awful on the grounds... Like, if we were to take a test, like, is this true? We'd be like, no. But imagine your life. Are we complaining when things are hard? When things don't go the way we want? There's nothing wrong about being disappointed. But what do you do with that disappointment? Do you complain? Or do you take it to the Lord in, in, in trust and in faith? It is difficult. And nobody, not even me, wants to deal with it. But we will. When I taught in Uganda, I taught a class and I... I asked the students this question. How many of you, now many of them were there to be trained as ministers. How many of you want the ministry of Paul? Every hand in that room went up. Everybody wanted the ministry of Paul. It is an amazing ministry. Who wouldn't want to be a church planner and write scripture and, and have so many converts and be carried up to the third heaven? But then I read them a list where Paul talks about all the things he suffered as an apostle. How many times he was beaten, close to death, shipwrecked, abandoned, forsaken. I said, now how many of you want his ministry? No hands went up. Nobody wanted that. Why is Paul willing to do that? Because he knows Christ has a mission and that Christ will encourage him on it. That Christ is not going to leave him there. And He's going to do that for us. He encourages us. It is hard, but He is there, keeping us on our mission. And that's the question this morning. What's your role in Christ's mission? If the mission is to proclaim the life that is in Christ Jesus in word and deed, what is your role in that? Where is God calling you to minister faithfully? Paul's role in verse, chapter 1, verse 11 is as a teacher and a preacher. Timothy's role is to, chapter 2, verse 2, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. But what's your role? And here's what Luther says. Whether you're a janitor 
or a priest, those callings are equally holy. They're equally holy. The question is, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to serve on mission in that role? Wherever you find yourself in life, you are called to be part of Christ's mission to proclaim the gospel in word and deed. Our very lives are to reflect Christ and his mission that he is calling you to. But he encourages us on this mission by reminding us of what he's done, by helping us to remember what he's done and reminding us of his mission, of what he has for us. So if Christ has a mission, what's the key to it, or the key to it? Well, the key to Christ's mission is discipleship. Discipleship is key. Look at verse 2. To Timothy, my beloved child. Now, Timothy is not Paul's biological son. Timothy is his child in the faith. Matter of fact, that's how he's addressed in 1 Timothy. He says, my child according to the faith. So Paul has spent so much time with Timothy and invested so much in him, it's, it's almost as if he is his son. He is his son in the faith. And that's what Paul wanted to remind him, that I have nurtured you and care for you as if you are my own son. Paul, if you remember, met Timothy in Lystra in, on his second missionary journey and wanted to bring Timothy along with him. And then spent countless chapters of our Bible and years with Timothy, sending him to and fro, leaving him here and there, but mostly walking with him on the journey. Timothy currently is in Ephesus. Paul had left him there to minister there. But through it all, Paul has discipled Timothy. Jesus discipled his, well, disciples, I guess, right? But discipleship is at the core of the Great Commission. Go, make disciples, baptizing, and teaching. Those are the verbs. The main verb is make disciples. So that means that going, baptizing, and teaching are what it means to make a disciple. They support or explain that verb. Make disciples is at the core of the Great Commission. And I think there are three aspects to discipleship. Three aspects. One is model, message, mission. Model, message, mission. What does it mean to model? That's to share your life with someone, to live it before them. Think about Jesus. He didn't just tell his disciples, show up on Monday, and I'll teach you a little bit. You leave and come back next Monday. What did he do? Well, from Monday to Monday, or whenever their lessons were, I don't know, he lived with them. He ate with them. They saw how he treated those who were rude, those who were dis. This or discourteous. Those who were 
nice and kind, and those who were rich and those who were poor. And they saw that. Jesus modeled it for them. And the same with Paul and Timothy. Timothy lived life with Paul. Saw it. It is a sharing of life. In 1 Thessalonians 2.8, Paul says, we were happy to not only proclaim the Gospel to you, but to share our very selves as well. But it's not just modeling, it's, it's message. It's teaching them the, the content of the faith, the content of doctrine. Obviously, Jesus taught frequently, so did Paul. Even in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. He's saying, Timothy, I'm not asking you to teach anything I didn't already teach you. He's given them the message. But it's not enough. And I think that's what we do well as a church. It's what I do well, anyways, is, is message. If I'm, I mean, rephrase that. That's what I do the best of these three options. Not saying I do it well. But that's, that's definitely what I'm best at. Is the message. But it, it's not just, discipleship is not just an information transfer. But then there's also mission. Jesus, what did he do? When they feed the 5,000, he told them, you go feed them. And then he sends out the 72 on mission. Paul sends Timothy to Corinth to help them understand some things. And like I said, he leaves them here in Ephesus to minister. They involve them in the mission. It's not just enough to tell them what to do. It's to show them what to do, but then get them involved. And recently I was reminded of my own life and what a blessing I've had to be discipled. When I was in college, I was involved with crew, as they call it now, and I got involved with a Bible study, and a staff member was leading that Bible study. But we would meet once a week. They called it one-on-ones. We would talk about anything from Bible memory to more personal things or whatever. And then he would take me to the dorms. We would knock on doors, and we would share the gospel. And then my next year came along, and they are like, why don't you lead a Bible study? So what did I do? I did exactly what they did with me, right? Because they had modeled it, they gave me the message, and then now they're enlisting me in the mission. That is discipleship, I think. But with discipleship, we must get it, then give it. Get it, then give it. I I didn't come up with this, but there's a scheme. You need a Paul in your life, A Silas in your life and a Timothy in your life. A Paul is someone older, further along in the faith that can shepherd you, walk with you, and encourage you in your faith. A Silas, Paul and Silas were contemporaries going out together on mission. Someone who can walk with you, keep you accountable on the way. And then a Timothy, Paul obviously, Timothy was younger in the faith and he shepherded Timothy along. So that's just one way to think about it. Discipleship. But we need it. It's key. And you need to get it. And you need to give it. But let's not overlook that if you're a parent or spouse, that's your first calling of discipleship is right there in the home. To your spouse and to your children. 
that, that you have a Timothy's in the house and a, a Silas in the house. And then it goes out from there. But if, this, if, you, if that's not where you are in life, that's great. You're more like Paul. And you're, you can find other avenues to be, to be receiving as well as giving discipleship. But we need it. We need to receive it. We need to give it. And we need to be intentional. So if Christ is, he has a mission, he's encouraging us on this mission, and he, he calls that mission, part of that mission is to disciple, how does he expect us to do all that? How does he expect us to be on his mission and disciple? Well, the answer is, is because he gives us his blessings. He gives us his blessings and strength. Look at verse 2. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father. In Christ Jesus our Lord, Paul pronounces a blessing on Timothy. The blessing of grace, mercy, and peace. For it is necessary for Timothy, for he cannot do it. He cannot serve on Christ's mission without the power, strength, and blessing of Christ. I don't know if you've ever heard of Team Hoyt. But Dick Hoyt is the father of Rick Hoyt. That is such an awesome combo, Dick and Rick Hoyt. And Rick was born with cere uh, cerebral palsy, and he's a quadriplegic. And the family was told, put him in a home, forget about him. They said, no, we're going to raise him like any other child. And they saw that he had something to give, and so they made a way for him to communicate. This was, I think he had to be much older because the debate was which is his first word, mom or dad? It was go Bruins because they lived in Boston at the time. Go Bruins, and so he loved sports. And one day he heard about this race to raise money for another person with a disability. He says, Dad, can we race to raise money? Can we join this race? His dad says, sure, sure. So they put him in a wheelchair and they race. His dad pushes him along and they, they came in next to last. And they liked that so much, they raced for 900 more races, including marathons and Ironman triathlons. And they say that Rick is the one who races. And this is what he says. Rick says this, When my dad and I are out there on a run, a special bond forms between us. And when Rick races, he doesn't race under his own strength. Someone else is pushing that chair down the way. Someone else is riding that bike. Someone else is swimming through the water. And yet he completes the race. And so it is with us. We do not do this mission on our own strength. It is Christ who gives us the blessing and strength to do it. The grace, the mercy, the peace to do it. Why grace? Grace. Because grace deals with the sin and guilt itself. It is God's ongoing forgiveness and enabling. 
This is most of this about grace, mercy, and peace I've got from another commentator. Mercy, now look at, actually, grace, look at 2.1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. As, remember, it's for the ongoing forgiveness and enabling. Mercy, what is mercy? Mercy is for misery. Mercy is for misery. For those in it. The, the pain and distress of this world. The results of sin. Think about the Good Samaritan. The rich young, the, the young man asks, who is my neighbor? Jesus tells a story about a man who helps another man who has been beaten. Who is the neighbor? The one who had mercy. Jesus often would walk and hear the cries from the lame and the blind. Lord, have mercy on us. Mercy is for the relief of an overwhelming burden, which is appropriate for a minister of the gospel who's dealing with difficult people, shame, fear. He needs mercy, which is for God's sympathy and concern on an ongoing basis. And we need peace with God which we have through Christ. But only when we have peace with God does this enable peace with ourselves and with others. Peace is that mysterious gift of God that even when things are not peaceful, we can rest and have peace because we know we have a Savior who loves us and died for us. And that's why the peace of God surpasses understanding. And so we need Christ's blessings every day. We cannot do life or participate in His message apart from it. We'll go nowhere. We need His grace, mercy, and peace. And He gives them freely. What are the, what's called the ordinary means of grace? What are the ordinary means of grace? And it's typically, how does God... Communicate His grace to us. Remind us of His grace. Help us to remember and remind. That's through word, sacrament, and prayer. Those aren't like, well, God, I read my Bible today. Give me some grace. Give me some blessing. It's that as you read, you're reminded of God's love for you because He never stopped. As you pray, you're reminded of the power of God in your life because He never stops giving it. And in the sacraments, we're reminded that He gave it all and we're washed clean. It doesn't earn it. It just reminds us. It's, it's an avenue of grace. The means of grace, not a means to grace. And so, we need encouragement in this life. Just as Paul encouraged Timothy. And that encouragement is Christ to remember and remind. Because He has sent us on a mission. And that mission involves discipleship. But remember, that even though He sends us out, He sends us out with His strength. We cannot do it on our own. Every day we need His grace, mercy, and peace.
Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You this morning for Your Word and for the beauty of Christ and all that He does. May we be encouraged by Him. And send us out on Your mission and Your strength. For it is in Christ's mighty and gracious name we pray. Amen.